So let me figure out how I want to start this. Uh, Joe, how are you doing? I um, am doing okay. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I don't the the events of the past twenty four hours have weighed heavily upon my spirit, yeah. um, and I've spent a lot of the past twenty four hours on Twitter, uh, and I don't regret that. But um, it's really hard to pretend like life is going to go back to what it was before fascist insurgents stormed the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I can't, I can't go forward in good conscience without acknowledging that like a line has been crossed um, in, in that like the world is not the same today as it was yesterday or as it was when we recorded this episode, you know, many years ago last week. Right, so, right. yeah. How are you? I think I'm still going to be processing a lot of my feelings. Um, you know, we're, we're a tense household right now. Mm. Um, not um, all because of the same thing, you know, it's. Um, and I can feel that we're trying to, we're trying to help Adrea feel like there's nothing going on because mm. it's not like we can explain it to her anyway, you know? Mm. Um, and it's not like we have it on TV, you know? So it's not as though she's seeing anything. Right. Um, we're not liars. If she were to see it and ask, we would, we would do our best to explain it to her. But I think, um, you know, I live in Charlottesville now. Right. And uh, folks here are like, guys, this is this is exactly what happened in Charlottesville in 2017. You know, yes, it wasn't the capital of the country, but but police forces, whether they were attempting to de-escalate it or whether they were under orders to not do anything about it police forces sort of allowed white supremacists to parade everywhere in Charlottesville. There was no restriction. And then it accumulated into violence. And so a lot of my professors and a lot of folks in this area who remember that are, you know, kind of reliving that and mm. thinking about that. Um, and I think I'm okay. um, you're okay. Yeah, like we're doing our best. We're doing our best. That's good. Um, I, and and you bring up Charlottesville is, I think, important for us to remember with this. Um, because it's not like the United States has not had people within it that have been capable of this for uh, since settlers arrived, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, there have not been mobs. It's not like there has not been chaos before. Um, it's it, it's not like white people haven't pulled this shit before. And it's not like we haven't incited coups in other countries around the world before. Um, so it's not, it's not that this is surprising. It's not that this is completely unprecedented. Um, it's that, what what has my soul the most disturbed is that we're still pretending to engage in both sideism with it. Yeah. Um, um, 
of you know these are these are the president's supporters and they're hurt and there's a reason why they're doing this and 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 the capitol police are um trained to be to be kind to protesters um and all sorts of other counter arguments that are going out there that are calling for us to to move on and to to make peace and to and to be understanding um Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing is, I understand fascism. <laughs> I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I just need us all to acknowledge that um, a, um, a really scary line has been crossed. And this is our chance to say, you know, no further. We have given quarter to white supremacy for so long. And maybe, maybe this is where, where we say stop. And apparently it's not where we stay, say stop. This is, um, that's what bothers me the most is that it really seems like we are going to um, continue as if this horrific thing has not happened. And I think that um, that disturbs me as well. And I think that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that might be true. Um, that that is what we're going to do. For whatever reason in this country, um, at the very least, at the very least for the last four years, um, we really have a hard time with holding people accountable, not just for crimes, but for um, uh, undemocratic behavior. Mm. And um, I think what this, what, what happened here today, what this demonstrates to me is a lot of the lessons that I learned in my political theology class this semester about liberal democracy and liberal democratic theory, which is um, democracy is first and foremost a practice. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're not committed to practicing it, um, it's incredibly fragile. It, it, it doesn't really work. And so if one person, the president, is not committed to practicing democracy, things can get really scary really fast. But they don't have to if everybody else is committed to practicing democracy. Right. Because then it's really easy. It's really simple. He leaves he disappears, he goes, anybody goes if they're not prepared to practice democracy. Democracies are, the critics of democracies are from from many many perspectives, the the, the critique is anything goes. You get that from like the Stanley Hauerwasses of the world and the Franklin Grahams of the world all say the same thing, even if they're saying it in different ways. Liberal democracies don't build and don't promote virtuous behavior because people can say whatever they want. Uh, I go, well, yeah, as long as they do it democratically, <laughs> they can, you know, the, in a liberal democracy, you can say and do whatever you want, provided that you are committed to the democratic process, you can. And so somebody can get elected uh, and do electing who believes in QAnon. They can. Now, the moment 
that a QAnon person says, I must overthrow the democratic process. Well, now they can't actually, you know, mm-hmm. now, now that's different. Oh, well, no, you'll be crushed. And um, I'm not saying there's anything terribly moral about crushing your enemies. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is um, if this is how, if, if a commitment to the democratic process means that the hard line, the uncrossable line is, we cannot allow people to undermine the democratic process, then that's where you hold people accountable. And since we've never really had to do that in such a public way, we of course have undermined the democratic process all throughout our history. Of course, that's what I was going to say. Is of we've never we been have. really democratic? Yeah. Yeah. Of, of course, we have done that. Of course, we have. Um, but I think that the difference for, with the last four years is is the quiet parts are constantly being said out loud. And over and, and being, over and over, magnified and magnified and magnified. And, and being empowered. Is, and being empowered, right. And no, nothing is being done to hold them accountable. Yeah. And so we discover, oh, maybe we're not interested in practicing democracy. Well, unfortunately, if we're not interested in practicing democracy, then it all falls apart. Because there's nothing inherent in our system that makes us practice democracy. Except us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Schmidt, right? It's like Carl Schmidt. Carl Schmidt is right. Liberal democracy is endless talk. Because the only thing that, that has any power is power. And so... Liberal democracies make us weak. He's right about that. He is. He is. He's right about that. A liberal democracy is weak because there's nothing inherent in it that makes it work. And that's sort of the point. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that we shouldn't succumb to that critique because the, the response is, but that's the point, Schmidt. Like the point is, this is how we theoretically empower a wide diversity of people is we treat is is we give everybody equal power so that everybody can equally um, hold each other accountable and that didn't happen Mm -hmm. and so suddenly lindsey graham is going enough's enough and i'm like lindsey (laughs) all you had to all you had to do is say enough's enough the moment he came down the escalator. Right, right. That's it. That's all we had to do. Because it's not like we didn't know. It's like, it's not like people haven't been saying this. It's not like this came out of nowhere. And many, right. many actions and many, many um, inactions led to to this moment. And, mm-hmm. and I think that... Um, I think that anything else is naive. And, and I, I also think that you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, that this theme of choosing, choosing this better way to be together um, makes us weaker 
is um, is that essential paradox of of the gospel. Like when Jesus says that my yoke is light, um, it's incredibly hard to maintain a healthy democracy. Nobody's done it, um, but it's still possible. And I think that it's still the better choice given other choices. And it's the same thing with, um, with following Christianity or, or following these moral systems where we lift up the least of these and we care for the well-being of all and we, we struggle for abundant life for all. Um, mm-hmm. It's really easy to just say survival of the fittest and let, let that, let strength and let force and let power um, go through the easiest channel. It's much more difficult to direct things to where they need to be. But like, that's why we're called to be caretakers and tenders of the, of the garden of this earth. You know, that's why we're stewards because you have to, we have to offer that care and it's hard and it's difficult and it's so easy to default to, well, we'll just let the loudest voice in the room rule, but the loudest voice in the room is not caring for anybody else. It's just caring for itself. And I just, um, all of this is so abundantly apparent to me. And I don't think it's because I'm any more woke or, or aware or a better person than anybody else. It's just that like, we, as white people in the United States, we are we grow up with blinders over our faces uh, over our eyes as to the the history of white supremacy um and what white supremacy will do when left unchecked and um and i've made a point of removing those blinders and everybody else has the opportunity to do this too and what i think is most frustrating about yesterday is that the blinders were not removed for from anybody from all that I can tell you know I haven't seen one new person be like well this is a new line that was crossed um I've only seen people doubling down and that's that's scary and frightening um and does not seem like it should be met with the levity that we're gonna have in today's minisode (laughs) (laughs) no no and which is which is why you know obviously why Joe and I are checking in right now before we post the the minisode uh, which is totally disconnected from these events. Um, I, I think, Joe, that, you know, I think it's very obvious that everybody needs to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like such a different kind of a person than that I was two years ago, you know, when it comes to everything. But, like, there's so many things, but particularly my thoughts and feelings on liberal democracy and on 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 some of this stuff like hey you know we can tolerate everything but this Hmm. because because this this stuff uh is is what uh destroys all of the other things that make raphael warnock possible you know, that makes the election of Raphael Warnock possible. It's what makes, um, you know, and I think he said it, I think he said it, like it's what, it, allowing things like this to happen unchecked is what undermines, you know, Warnock's 80-year-old mother from being able to cast a vote. Mm. You know, 
it, it is. It's what it's it's exactly what that does. Um, and and even though I think Lindsey Graham is a bastard coder bastard with bastard filling, Lindsey Graham understands that principle enough to be able to at least pretend, you know, to say the right things. Right. I don't know if you listened to his speech from the Senate floor. Oh, I saw. Um, I wouldn't let Ian play it. <laughs> I was so agitated. No, and I and I get it. Um, but like, like he is at least able, you know, when when confronted with this, to to say, oh, well, if the rhetorical strategy of the right is not just a way to get votes, which would be democratic, but is in fact the very thing that is going to toss out all of democracy, well, then it, it can't work. We can't allow that. We can't let that happen. Mitt Romney said the same thing. These people are not heroes. I'm not praising them for their heroics, <laughs> but like these are, these are people who you know, have, have kind of brushed up to the edge and, and realized, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I guess this is it. And, and there are people out there who uh, really just don't want democracy. They don't want to practice it. Because the more democratic this country becomes, the more they realize that at the center of democracy is the decentralization of power. Yeah, and that's frightening. And Human power. And that's terrifying. Exactly. And so, when that becomes, and it has, it has become clear to a lot of Trump people that that's true. They go, "Oh, well, then no democracy, please." <laughs> right. Right. You know, like none. I don't want any more. You know, I don't want any more of it. No more of it. Um, there's now articles coming out from from some of the press that were there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an article, I think, from Slate, the reporter from Slate, I think, uh, interviewed a, a woman who is in the mob. And with tears in her eyes, this woman said, why are the police shooting at us? They're supposed to shoot at Black Lives Matter. She actually said that? Yeah, like on record. They're supposed wow. to be shooting Black Lives Matter, but they're shooting us. That's not right. Okay, well, you know, this is sort of the depth of and I don't want to I don't want to psychoanalyze anything. Like maybe one day after uh hopefully the 25th amendment is is invoked or impeachment continues or something happens, hopefully. I don't understand at any why Pence wouldn't do anything. You know, like, like, why would wh what would cause Mike Pence to not, in, uh, you know, step forward with the 25th Amendment after Trump um, sets him up for failure and then declares him the grand betrayer of the movement? So, you know, whatever. And but, causes his life to be threatened. Yeah. Right, right. And, yeah. and, and essentially ends his life, you know, as he knows it. But like, I don't, I don't want to psychoanalyze or spiritualize or theologize today because this is very, this is not long, but like, mm -hmm. you know, the, this is, this is sort of the, what we're working with, you know, we're working with people who, um, 
really don't think that there's any such thing as equality under the law. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working with people who have who have shed democratic principles, um, who just flat out have shed them. Who are just like, yeah, whatever. You know, the police job is to shoot those people, not me, and they're shooting at me, which sounds an awful lot like tyranny. You know, <laughs> you know, and 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 that's just it. You've got Viking man, you know, who who is running around, son of a bitch. Yeah, who who is as every Twitter person will tell you, who's simply making use of the of the white supremacist, you know, hijacking of Nordic culture. You know, mm-hmm. you have all kinds of stuff, and that's just reality right now. The reality of it is. There are people who do not think that democracy is worth uh, practicing. Some of those people are elected officials, Um, like Josh Howley, who's going to run for president in 2024. You know, and and some of these other folks, like Ted Cruz, or uh, Nick's theory is that Ted Cruz is actually Gollum, and that when he's got a beard, he's Gollum. And that when he doesn't have a beard, he's Smeagol, um, um, which might be true. <laughs> that might be true. It might be. There's a, a whole lot of pictures of elected officials who are really trying to practice democracy from <laughs> yesterday. And that's good. You know, terrifying, terrifying that all this is happening, but still good. Like. There's a picture, I think he's a representative from Colorado, who's a Democrat, who's like a a veteran. He's, you know, he's a younger guy, served in Afghanistan. And there's a picture of him, like, uh, comforting and, like, protecting with his body, like, another congressperson, you know, who, as they're hiding behind, you know, stuff as people are parading in. I've seen that, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, that, that's important. Like that's that that means something, right? Or or I just saw that there were there were two Senate aides that protected the electoral college votes. Yeah. You know th- these are these are people who like I get real upset about the whole civil religious language. I really do sometimes. But like describing things like a temple or a sacred space or whatever, um, people who are prepared to buy that. Um, are the people that just made sure that that you know they performed their their duty and tried to preserve democracy? Mm-hmm. So the people that don't believe that were the, were Viking man, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. There's a you very know. clear dichotomy between who's willing to fight for the you know at least it's a good myth the myth of of what America can be. Um, yeah it is yeah it is it is a good myth you know it's yes does that good myth used badly a lot of course does it sometimes obscure reality yes it does but that good myth also um caused a lot of people to do really important and good things yesterday you know yeah yeah, I'm like, on that. That's good. You know, and, and I think that's important. 
So that's what I've, that's, that's the thing that has, I've been sort of chewing on. Uh, that being said, all of my, my, all, every one of my public theology and ethics professors at UVA were like, you know, I don't really believe in lethal force, but there are domestic terrorists scaling the Capitol building. So uh, <laughs> maybe somebody <laughs> somewhere <laughs> should put an end to that. Yeah. What a time. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we The mini-sode follows all of this. It was recorded last week. Um, it's a lot more chipper. We, we joke a lot more. Uh, and so if you are not in the right frame of mind to enjoy that, feel free to, to save this for later. If you need a break from, um, from the doom scrolling, feel free to, to turn us on and have a good laugh about... Um, you know, soup for my family and uh, pro wrestling. It's a, it's a good time. It's a good episode. Um, and I just invite you to, um, to take the world seriously and to think about what your role is in um, helping us to live better together in this time. Uh, Cause we can, we can all make that choice. Um, yeah, that's what I got. That's right. Enjoy. Hang on, I have to wait for Ian to stop walking above my head. Uh, is he flying again? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's just upstairs. <laughs> he borrowed your broom. Prophet, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is the pastor? Whew, there's a question about the move out. There are... Um, the the pipes some like a pipe must have burst somewhere or something something went horribly wrong not horribly wrong but the the water started running brown which means that there is rust in it from somewhere the day that we were doing like the final move out stuff um the light above the kitchen sink had this like chain pull to turn it on and that chain just pulled out the, the one day I didn't pull it any harder than usual it just pulled out like the day before I moved out and I was like well fuck this um there's just uh, there's and there's so much stuff wrong with the the yard because they had been replacing the roof and then it snowed and then it's so, like these t- these muddy tire tracks are everywhere and some of those are for, from us but like the worst of them are not from us it's just I'm so nervous about whatever it's gonna be. Uh, but anyway, that's a that's moving out of a, a house that I paid entirely too much to live in, but also loved. I uh, understand. So for the mini sode, we're gonna talk about uh, some YouTube videos that Ethan has sent me, and this is just gonna be uh, a very 2020 or episode, I think. Um, so do you want to describe the first video you want me to react to, Ethan? <laughs> Uh, the uh, this, listeners, perhaps you've seen this this video going around of the uh, it's in a gas station and this this uh, uh, clearly intoxicated racist guy is calling out this uh, um, black gentleman who's next to him and is calling him the N word and saying all this bad stuff. And the black gentleman is getting angrier. And uh, he takes a bottle of twisted tea, which is disgusting, by the way. Never drink twisted tea. It's gross. <laughs> um, takes a bottle of twisted tea. And, uh, and it looks like he's going to hit him with it. The, the black guy's going to hit him with it. 
and the the white racist is like, oh, hit me, hit me. I dare you to hit me, hit me in the face, do it, hit me. And he just does. And it just explodes right in his mouth. And the guy like just falls over and everybody (laughs) and pretty much everybody just stares at him. Like, and then I think the guy behind him, like, puts his stuff on the shelf and, like, pays for it. He's like, all right, cool. You know, and and we all move on. There's another video that goes a little longer where the guy kind of gets up totally woozy. And then the black guy, like, just beats the crap out of him, which is which is satisfying. But the video I sent Joe was that um, mixed with a Dave Matthews band song. (laughs) The only Dave Matthews band song I know, actually, uh, to to uh, that that. The, the strike with the twisted T goes into the to, in the beat of the Dave Matthews band song. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> it's just it's just so satisfying. Uh, uh, it's so good. Who is it, it was I so I um as I'm watching this video, I am like so tense. Cause I, I, once, once you said twisted tea, I knew that I, this was the source of the memes that I had been seeing. Um, but I'm like watching it for the first time. And I'm hearing this very angry white man yelling the N word at this black man who like, looks like he has a friend who's kind of standing behind the white man too. It's like, it's this white man is, is overpowered in the situation, but I'm just like, oh, oh, like, how is this going to go? What's going to happen next? Like how panicked do I need to be? Uh, and then, yeah, just can, can to the face. And, and then, then because the first one I saw was this remix, it just it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, you laugh out loud. You do. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's and, great. Um, this this reminds me of of um, you know when uh, whichever of the racists who've been putting kids in cages went to go eat at, like a Mexican restaurant in D.C. and got like booed out of the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Ever let me go, and they're like, people should be able to eat in peace, and blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, I'm I'm kind of okay with this, and like I don't condone physical violence. Like this this one went a little bit further than I was like comfortable with, but like also, uh, this man was completely in the wrong, and um, if anybody deserves to get hit in the face with a can of something, he did. This is the um, the the memes that we were passing around in uh, in my group of friends from the from the town that I lived in. Uh, was uh, there was it was somebody holding like a twisted tea in one hand and then like a bag of soup for soup for my family. And it's like, right. oh, I've just gone shopping. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah. You know they're they're throwing cans of soup. They're using cans of soup as weapons. Like okay, it's soup for my. We did when we collected. Uh, we did a canned food drive shortly after that happened, <laughs> and when we put out our, our advertisements for it, we we're like, we need this, this, and this, and cans of soup for your family. <laughs> and we, right. just, we loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. We for, for the oh, I'm sorry. Go for go it. ahead. I was just going to say that for the Biden inauguration episode, can we just do a Trump retrospective for a minisode? Like <laughs> our favorite Trump moments. <laughs> it'll, it'll have to be most of yours. <laughs> I mean, I mean, all the the nihilistic, you know, walking bags of shit and blood person in me right. is is what loves not loves Trump. Although I have a, 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 a colleague in my department 
who we were on a Zoom call, like with other other colleagues of ours. And this was a couple weeks ago now, where the uh, video was going around of Trump dancing to YMCA. It's fun to stay. There's like this video of him just dancing to YMCA and at like a rally. And uh, this guy's name is Blair, who's, who, who I was on the Zoom call with. And Blair was like, you know, I saw that. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, I'm kind of going to miss him. Let <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> look at him. He's, he's having so much fun. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I won't. I'm not going to miss him. Not at all. Not at all. Um, to, so this the this this video was going around at the same time that um oh gosh there is uh the next biggest city to us is Asheville and they're doing people in Asheville are doing what uh, some other people around the U.S. are doing in cities on New Year's Eve which is to like um go and do a noise demonstration outside of prisons and jails in like supportive inmates to be like we know you're here we love you like as we as we ring in the new year like we are not forgetting about people who are in prison uh but also just to like you know protest mass incarceration all this kind of stuff um and skyline news have you ever heard of this bullshit that's that's like the oan guys right like own and and uh, newsmax they're like the like a super right-wing news got news place yeah, so Skyline might be a subsidiary in some way, but they, they'll report on like local stuff to where I was at. Um, and they said uh, that Antifa from the town that I was serving, at, well, the town that I was living in, uh, Antifa from our town uh, were going to be providing fireworks for the demonstration in Asheville. <laughs> and oh, cool. the, the fascists in our community, they have their own Facebook page that we, we stalk um and they're like oh my gosh like this is this is happening and 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 this group is gonna do this and and one of the people reached out to us and they're like is there any truth to this and we were like no we don't know and uh this is this is ridiculous and so we're spending time making fun of them while also like this is happening and it was just it was a fine fine week to make fun of racists this week it was pretty great uh I that sounds great. I, I like that. The best part is, is when you don't do it, they can all be like, see, we must have stopped them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nope, that was that was never uh, that was a when people were talking about before the election and they're like, you know, that that there are there are left wing militias gearing up in case Trump gets elected because they're going to they're going to take over everything. And I'm like, I don't know, like I'm Antifa and, and nobody has shared that on our message board. So I'm yeah, like, you should be you should be like, boy, I wish. wouldn't that be nice (laughs) instead we'll just we'll probably just cry (laughs) what will be anyway so yeah um i'm a part of a uh one of the questions that listeners one of the questions that ian suggested for this minisode which i guess we'll do a little bit of because i still have another video i want joe to react to Mm -hmm. is uh ian suggested that we talk about things that we're doing uh, in 2020 that we would not have done if it weren't for quarantine. And my two things are, I started watching Letter Kenny. Ooh, good, 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 good. Uh, which is great. Letter Kenny's awesome. And that, I started that way at the beginning of quarantine. And it's been, it's been a real joy. Um, you are spare parts, bud. Uh, uh, it's been good. Um, but the other thing is, is I joined, and this happened also because I, I started 
uh, at UVA, I joined a Facebook group. Um, gosh, let me, I just want to get the title totally correct so that I, I do it justice. Um, hang on. Plans to create and worship our Leviathan lobster god. Yes. Yes, it's been lovely. Um, it really has. Uh, lots of religious studies people in the UVA department are, have joined it. And we do a lot of studying. We're like, this is interesting. Okay. <laughs> and okay. so we, we call our lobster god the Lorb. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and we post uh, lots of very interesting lobster memes and things that look like lobsters. And we ask our thoughts on it, you know, are, are crabs heretics or are they like our brothers from another religion? And some people are like heretics, kill them. And others are like brothers, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Um, I have a good time. <laughs> so without that, that, that's keeping me going, looking at some different, uh, some different things. I, so Ian asked that and I was like, I don't want to, because I think that um, without the kind of shutdowns because of COVID back in, in March and in ongoing months, like, I think, I think everybody kind of agrees that the George Floyd protests would not have been as big as they were. Um, and that, that means that like all of my, the racial justice work that I did in my community would not have started in the way that it did. Um, and I maybe would still have my job. Like I, my life would be, all of our lives would be different without COVID, but like there's almost, there's a direct line from it. And so I don't have like any funny small things from that. I have like a whole community was created. People that I have never been able to shake hands with or hug, right? Like people that I have always had to be behind a mask six feet away from the entire time I've known them who are now like dear close friends of mine. Like I would never have known them without quarantine. Right. Um, one of them, she gave me they gave me a um, a plant and a coffee mug as a going away present uh Sounds they were one of the ones yeah they when I put forward the question of like is there just a petition I can sign to get the statue removed they were one of the ones that that posted and was like I mean I don't know what's out there but I'm happy to help and we together kind of got all this started and um we like stood in my driveway and cried. It was great. Uh, and it was more than any person from either of my churches done for me uh, upon leaving. So yeah, like my life is profoundly different because of quarantine. Um, and so I don't have like a cute little answer to that question, which is why I didn't want to answer. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand. Yeah. It, it, it's a weird, it's a weird time, man. It's, it's yeah. a strange time. Um, so the other video that I had Joe watch, listeners, it hasn't dropped yet. There's a there's a mini-sode in the can on professional wrestling. And oh, I, I haven't put that out yet. It'll be out by the time I drop this one. No, no worries. Take your time. And I, I've I've thought quite a lot about it. Um if I could go back, I'd do it again and I'd do a total an, another episode of, of, of pro wrestling with totally different stories. Um because <laughs> I'm I'm that guy. Always do another. <laughs> Well, you know, you never know. Um, but but 
I, I can't tell if Joe legitimately laughed at the stories or if she was laughing for my sake, and that's fine. But I, after it, I sent her a video called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, which is kind of this legendary um, YouTube video uh, documenting a, a, a story of a professional wrestler uh, in this kind of fun way. And, and Joe, what did you think of that video? Hang on, I have to wait for Ian to stop walking above my head. Uh, is he flying again? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's just upstairs. <laughs> he borrowed your broom. <laughs> that's the other thing that uh without quarantine i wouldn't be friends with quite so many pagans there you uh, go oh god i told my mom that i helped the local high priestess bury a cat in their pet cemetery and uh my mom was like what and i was like yeah no like she just needed help because the ground was hard and she broke her arm recently um and it, it's not even a member of like the coven it's it's just another they're not a coven they're a temple um hearth uh it's not even a member of the, of the group it's just somebody else that she knows who like wanted to bury her pet in a pet cemetery anyway my mom was like they don't dance around naked and i was like no there's there's very little nudity um and she's like they, they don't like start fires and i was like no they i mean yes but only like to the amount that like every other regular human has a bonfire every once in a while it was it was interesting she's like i only know about pagans from what i've heard and that yeah <laughs> okay sure but like all of my desire to be kind of witchy comes from my mom who loves halloween so this is not my fault sure. um i'll put that in somewhere else and not just <laughs> <laughs> your question um yeah so i one my laughter was genuine because i really like could not believe that that this was what pro wrestling was like i just felt that like there was a big part of my childhood that was kids around me being really into pro wrestling and me not knowing what it was and feeling that like this was not my thing to care about and now i'm like you know maybe i would be a, a different person if i had, if i had had this perspective as a child mm. um but that video there there are so many celebrity cameos in it yeah um, yeah who made that like darren chris is in it like darren chris in it uh uh josh from drake and josh is in it oh yeah oh gosh yeah it's a it's amazing i i realize that we are like these two people but there's you'll watch it and be like how is how are all of these people in it Not, well they're the, all they're all lifelong professional wrestling fans like, like that's that's why they're in it. Like, like Darren Chris has gone on record saying that pro wrestling is his like favorite thing in the world. Oh my god! Now I need to watch it again. Um, so it confused me initially, uh, listeners. I, I'm gonna link it in the description, and you should watch it because uh, it's great. It's what is it? Half an hour? It's it's it's, it's more, like twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. It's a chunk of time, but it's worth it. Um, I watched it and I, they're doing the reenactments. Like it's this guy telling the story of, of a pro wrestler and like telling the saga of his career. And um, the reenactors for the wrestlers are women. And I was yes. like, oh my gosh, like I, this is about like female pro wrestlers. I'm so into it. And then I began to realize that like, that's not what was happening. They were reenacting, but I was still super into it. But so that's just something to know right away is that the reenactors are women being men, um, but still with long blonde hair. Um, well, yeah. Triple H had long blonde hair his whole career. Oh, actually, well, it's part—it's part of what makes it beautiful. Like, so, like all of them basically 
you at least at least Shawn Michaels and Triple H, the two women that they have to play Shawn Michaels and Triple H, sort of just look like female like model versions of them. Like Triple H is mm-hmm. this Triple H's entire career has this long blonde hair and he's just sort of built like an Adonis. Like like he's he's this giant. He's like 274. You know, but he's got this long flowing blonde hair and then Shawn Michaels is built like a like Channing Tatum. Right. <laughs> so and so he looks and Shawn Michaels actually in the video there's a picture of of the cover of Shawn Michaels Playgirl uh, nude uh, shoot that he did in the early nineties. Uh, Shawn Michaels posed nude for Playgirl. Um, it's true. My sister, my sister's seen it. My sister thinks Shawn Michaels is the sexiest man alive, oh. except for her husband. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But yeah. she's always been that way. My sister thought Shawn Michaels was the sexiest man alive when he was 43 years old in 2007. Hmm. You know? What, so, a, what a great time. 2007. Mm-hmm. So long ago. That was what I was. Oh, I, this was something I was going to put in the episode. I was going to tie back in that like I have really evolved in my thinking on like rural areas and also whatever we were talking about before we talked. To, oh, nine, nine. Is that like. Yes. I have I have moved so far left that like it's now difficult for me to watch uh, things where police are funny um, because th- this isn't going to go on the podcast. But when I was dating <laughs> Jeff, I was like watching Nine Nine. He's like, yeah, you know, the only people who've ever pointed a gun in my face were the Brooklyn police, so I'm not going to watch that show. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sure it's funny. And I was like, okay, well, also that's the only time they got uh, anyway. Anyway, oh Jeff, <laughs> what a what a character. Um, what else about this video? I had really thought that pro wrestling was like, act like people act. I didn't realize that it was as, um, scripted or, or planned or dramatic or theatrical as what it was. Like, I just thought that like the undertaker was like the outfit that this guy had. And like, that was just like a shtick. I didn't realize there were whole like rivalries and plot lines and backstories and explanations, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And like you explained that in the episode, but like the way that it unfolds in this video, I was like, people spend a lot of time thinking about this and working on this. And I am just, I was astounded. I was delighted. I was like, I was, I'm one over to the concept of pro wrestling. I will now no longer say, talk any shit about it. Uh, Cause I, I realize uh, what it is. Also, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it. Like I just, thought I, that- I understand. <laughs> it's hard to jump. It's hard to jump in unless you're, you're jumping in with fans. Uh, And and I always say like pro wrestling, once you discover the person or two that you like, you become really invested because then it's just, well, I just want to watch them win. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you're all in on on people that you like winning. And then when they don't win, then you get mad and you want you want or or, and you want to keep watching so that they do win. Like it's it's fun. And once again, seeing it live is very, very different. Like in the video that he sent that, that I sent you. Um, the story of Triple H is like a 20 year story. Right. And, and that's what the, the, the guy talking in the video is really saying is it, pro wrestling rewards long time viewers. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I remember when Triple H debuted, like I was a little kid, but I remember, like I, I remember Triple H's first match as Hunter Hearst Helmsley. 
That was his name. That's why he calls himself Triple H a little later, but he debuts as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the uh, the Connecticut blue blood who, for some reason, decides he wants to wrestle. <laughs> and 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 he's and he's a pain in the ass. He like he shows up and he thinks he's better than everybody else, and he's clearly not, you know. And and then and over twenty years, that's his story. You know, the story of Hunter Hearst Helmsley is told. You know, and and. Um, and all the other characters in that weave in and out of Triple H's story, by by and large, have their own stories as well. You know, and and like Shawn Michaels is a huge deal. Shawn Shawn Michaels started wrestling when he was nineteen in Oak in uh, in San Antonio, Texas. Right. You know, and and in in I think eighty four. And uh, and and his story, you know, is is told all the way up until he retires in like 2014. Wow. You know, that's a huge deal. And, and like, and it's, and it's told in lots of different companies that he wrestled in. He wrestled in Minneapolis for, in a, for a company called AWA. Um, he, he becomes first becomes famous. I'm sorry for this. He first becomes famous by becoming a, um, a member of a tag team with a guy named Marty Jannetty. They were called the rockers and they were just, really young, good looking guys. And Shawn Michaels was kind of small, like, like triple H was much bigger than Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is kind of a small guy. He's like, he he's, he's athletic and thin and, and whatever at a time when everybody was quite big, you know? And so Shawn has to like develop a, a bigger personality and, and come up with stuff. And so he be- joins his tag team. He's really successful with Marty Jannetty. Who's another small guy. And they're just dazzle everybody by being young and athletic, you know, and they can backflip and do all this stuff. And uh, Shawn Michaels in this uh, famous uh, live interview um, turns on Marginetti by super kicking him in the face. And, and Marginetti, uh, unfortunately, Marginetti barely had a career after that. He kind of leaves and Shawn Michaels gets over as this big bad guy, you know, as this is, as the heartbreak kid. That's why he, he calls himself the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And the reason why he does is because he super kicks Marty Jannetty and, and the, you know, ev- the cameras cut to the crowd and you've got these, these like 12 and 13 year old girls crying. They're just sobbing in the crowd. Oh. Shawn Michaels broke their heart. <laughs> By betraying his friend. Yeah, and and so he he starts dressing really flamboyantly, and and in the video they say it like the guy's like he's kind of this effeminate male stripper, <laughs> and he is, you know, and and he dresses real flamboyantly, and he and he starts winning by cheating, you know, and he and he becomes a bad guy. It's great. Yeah. Is it? Have you ever seen? Have you ever watched Steven Universe? I've seen bits of Steven Universe. Beth I, really likes Steven Universe. I like it. The stuff I've seen, I like. I really like it too. They have an episode where uh, Steven and Amethyst go and and uh, are wrestlers. That's <laughs> awesome. Whole, but there's a whole like just like with pro wrestling, there's this whole backstory. They all have like they come back night after night. There's this rivalry thing that's happening. There's a storyline that's going through it. Um, and I was like, when I remember watching the episode, like a couple years ago now uh and being like well like if wrestling was like this then like maybe i'd watch it and then i didn't realize until you were saying all this that like wrestling is actually like that and like maybe i would have watched it it's exactly like that that's what's so cool like oh man like you know and then you get to that part in the video with the undertaker triple h decides he's gonna beat 
the undertaker now who is the undertaker <laughs> okay okay get ready <laughs> like it's so fun it's so great and it works man yeah it won it this the your conversation and that video won me over i i watched it um as i was like at my desk at, at the at the church getting things ready and like packing things up i was um I was waiting for people to show up for uh, Bible study who never showed up. <laughs> uh, and it was just, it was, it, it had me, I was like chipper by the time that I finished it. Cause I just felt like I had gone on this journey. And so I was like, this is, I feel good. doesn't matter that no one's here. It, it'll be fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was good. It's a pick me up. So listeners, I, I recommend you watch it. If you've been like rolling your eyes at all this pro wrestling stuff this whole time, uh, I recommend that you watch this because you will, it'll change your mind. It'll- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they, and that video hits all the, all the right notes. Like it talks about John Cena and how every wrestling fan on planet earth hates John Cena. Right. Um, for, for the exact reason this guy is saying, cause he doesn't lose, you know, right. he, he's no good. He's really not very good in the ring and everybody can kind of see that. And he just laughs and he, and he never loses. And then that's that. Oh man, it's so great! It's so great. the 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 whole thing is really is really good. Because now, so like, remember, like over twenty years, it's not as though there's a narrator explaining Triple H's um, character development, right? Like, like if you've watched Triple H for twenty years, this is your reward. You you see the way the character arcs and and what he does, you know. And so when the guys like. And, and he does a good job of it. Like, like all, all of Triple H's like going off on people basically boils down to tell me I'm as good as Shawn Michaels. Right. <laughs> tell me I'm as good as Shawn Michaels. <laughs> like, like, yeah. And it really is just about that. You know, he, they, their, their rivalries all boil down to that is he, he joins Degeneration X with Shawn Michaels in 98. Shawn Michaels is way better than him. Just, just like in every way, shape, and form, has five star matches with everybody. Wrestled Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1997's WrestleMania with a broken back. What? Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Like Shawn Michaels had a broken, like, like had, had like broken like part of his like different vertebrae on his back. Wrestled the entire 30 minute match. You know, and 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 then like he lost, he lost the world title to Stone Cold, and then Sean left, like because he was hurt. Mm-hmm. But he did the whole match, you know, that way. Triple H couldn't have done that. Like like Sean's just way better than him. And you got to see Ric Flair in the video, Charlotte's yeah. favorite son. <laughs> <laughs> I'll and take an, it. And he's an old old man with leathery skin. Like it sounds really lame. Sometimes in pro wrestling things sound lame when they're really actually incredible. And Ric Flair is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, it's, it is this weird combination of soap operas and sports. Yeah. Like, it has the scripted drama, like long viewing payoffs of a soap opera with the like, I'm cheering for my team and their storyline of sports. It's just like, it is, it's, I don't want to say it's a completely unique way of storytelling, but it is a completely unique blending of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that like to go back to our rural versus urban episode I feel like pro wrestling is this like rural thing like I grew up with this all around me and then I don't think that I outgrew it or I just think that I moved away from it like I feel like it is something that like is uh, manly enough to be able to cheer on for the rednecks all the way around. I don't know. I don't know. It, that's an interesting way of, of kind of putting it. So like in the United States, pro wrestling is deeply regional, you know, and it's sort of right. built into the way, uh, way the systems, the pro wrestling systems are designed with territories in mind. Like essentially pro wrestling in this country for most of maybe the first 70 or 80 years of the 20th century is, is designed uh, to uh, around the notion that these promoters, so the folks who own the wrestling companies are called promoters, um, can sort of function as mob bosses. And, and, uh, and so the Mid-Atlantic Territory uh, is where North Carolina was a part of. North Carolina is a part of Mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And um, the promoter for Mid-Atlantic is, uh, it was always the Crockett family, Jim Crockett Sr., uh, all the way through his, his oldest son and then to Jim Crockett Jr. And um, Mid-Atlantic made a lot of money. It was a, good, it was a good promotion. It had some major cities and, and it was good. And before cable, before like universal cable stuff, uh, the only wrestling that people uh, who lived in the Mid-Atlantic Territory got to watch was Mid-Atlantic. Oh. That was it. And if you went north a little bit, you you got to watch the WWWF, three Ws uh, at the time. And that, and that later gum, goes on to become the WWE. But the WWWF was also a regional territory. It, basically from Maine to Maryland in a triangle, you that's the only wrestling you watched um and that's how the promotions were set up um local tvs and then and then basically you had the world champion um could make deals with all these promoters and come into a promotion to wrestle their top person and and so the world champion would travel to these different territories to wrestle That makes sense. That makes sense. It it does make sense, and and actually that's that's why how the WWE sort of wins in the end, because what ends up happening is the New York territory. That's sort of that's the slang for the WWWF. Madison Square Garden is their mecca. It's the city territory. It's it's the territory. It's the non-rural territory. Um, Vince McMahon uh, becomes the owner. Vince McMahon's dad, Vince McMahon Senior is the it owns the wwwf vince mcmahon jr buys it from his dad in the early 80s and uh starts to create a territory that uh makes use of cable and says we're gonna have our territory uh our wrestling show be able to be seen everywhere and um this is i love this stuff because this this the pilot there's a there's books written about this joe there's like long historical documents written about the rise and fall of the territory days in pro wrestling um, because of all the politicking and stuff. But like what ends up happening is Vince McMahon goes, Vince McMahon Jr. goes to all these 
territories, all these promoters, and says, we're going to, we'd like to buy you. And they're like, no, get away from me. You know, don't break the code. You know, you're being ridiculous. And it's like, well, okay, well, we're going to take all of your top talent either way. And like pays, you know, out the butt for all these, all the, all the big stars in all these territories and brings all the big stars in all the territories to his promotion. And so now when he launches his show on, on national television, if you were the big star in the Mid-South Territory, the big star in the Mid-South Territory was a guy named Ted DiBiase, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, one of the best bad guys of all time. I have a story and then we'll get off of it. Ted DiBiase is the big star in the Mid-South Territory. Everybody loves Ted DiBiase. Vince McMahon basically poaches him, basically says, come work for me, I'll double your salary. He goes, great, moves to New York. And now because his show is on national cable, Everybody who lives in Mid-South, Oklahoma, Louisiana, folks like that, uh, when they turn on Vince's show, see their favorite guy. And they don't need to watch the local Mid-South show anymore because all the big talent is on Vince's show. And and Vince basically just shut down all the territories by doing that. Um, the territory guys tried to have Vince McMahon assassinated over it. It was great. In real, in real life, no. What? Yeah, yeah. Like they sent hit, hit men to like try to kill Vince McMahon because they were what? he was destroying. He was not only breaking the rules, but he was destroying everything. He was he was getting rid of all of their, all of their uh, talent and, and their money. And what so the territory dystopia sends out hitmen over. Oh my god, <laughs> that's crazy, right? And now and now we live in a really cool world where there are no territories anymore, but they're. There's these. There's a couple of major promotions that are really great. Um, there's one that I watch all the time called AEW that I think is really great. I don't really watch WWE much anymore because their their product is kind of bad right now. But there's all these little indie promotions. You can you can go anywhere. There's there's bound to be one in Richmond at the very least. But you can go anywhere and find local pro wrestlers doing their thing, and it's. It's awesome. Let me tell you about Ted DiBiase Jr. And then, and then I'll stop. So Ted DiBiase, uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. Is, is actually his son. Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase is um, uh, this good guy in Mid-South. He's, uh, you know, just kind of a, a standard sort of white meat baby face guy. So he's, he's a good guy that people like. He's a big star. People like to watch him win. Great. He comes to WWE. And Vince says, how would you like to turn heel? So how would you like to become a bad guy? And Ted DiBiase is like, oh, my God, I would love that. Because that's what you want to do, Joe. If you become a wrestler, you want to be a bad guy because you can do whatever you want then. You can just color outside the lines and do whatever you want. Um, and so Ted DiBiase becomes a bad guy. And, and the gimmick they give him is the million-dollar man. So they start, they start putting him in in really expensive Armani suits they give him like a servant that like carries his stuff around and they fly him to every single show in around the world and in, 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 in the territory in like private jets so that they just sell the whole thing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he, he's just this, he's just this, this vile, vile guy. And his thing is that he, he, he tries to buy people. And so like, 
let's say uh, Ted DiBiase has, has scheduled to have a match with a good guy. Well, Ted DiBiase might behind the scenes um, uh, bribe the good guy to lose. And, and like the crowd is just like totally like devastated, like, like, oh, you know, Ted DiBiase got to him again. Everybody has a price for the million dollar man, you know, and it's great. Um, he used to, this is true. This is a true thing. He used to come out in live events with a hundred dollar bill and, and start, and with the microphone, start seeing if anybody wants to make a hundred dollars and everybody goes crazy. And he brings people into the ring, crowd, people in the crowd in the ring, and he makes them do these horrible things to get the hundred dollars on national television. And so, and so like there's videos of, of people in the crowd coming in and, and having to crawl around the ring and bark like a dog. What? And Ted DiBiase is like, Ted DiBiase is like, you could do better than that. Bark, bark. Oh, here's your hundred dollars, you peasant, you know, and he throws hundred dollars and leaves. He brings there's a legendary moment where he brings this this uh, this little kid in. This little kid wants to make a hundred dollars. And uh, his mom lets him go in. He's this little 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 black kid. And he's like, What's your name, son? And I, you know, he, he kind of mumbles, you can't quite hear his name. He's really nervous. He goes, Well, let me tell you something. Now remember, this is the 80s, and he they did this on purpose because he's a bad guy. You have to understand this. Um, it's like in the wrestling isn't wrestling video, you know, when Triple H kidnaps Stephanie McMahon and, for, and drugs her and marries her. It's like, that's terrible. Well, wrestling isn't real, so we don't have to worry about it because <laughs> right. it's not real. He brings this black kid out and, he, and he's like, here, here's a basketball. If you can dribble that basketball 15 times in a row, I will give you $100. And the kid starts dribbling it. The crowd's cheering. The crowd's going wild. He's counting. You know, DiBiase's counting. 13, 14. And on 14, DiBiase kicks the basketball out of the kid's hand, and it flies into the crowd. And DiBiase goes, oh, what a shame. But if you don't do the job, you don't get paid. <laughs> and it sends the kid back in the crowd. The crowd, the, 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 the kid bursts into tears. The mom is completely distraught. And the crowd just is, is booing the crap out of DiBiase. And DiBiase is just laughing and laughing and laughing. You would pay money to watch DiBiase get his ass kicked now, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, damn it. Yes, I'm right. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> That's, that's that's exactly how it works. It's supposed that's how it works every time. I am prepared to pay money to watch Ted DiBiase get his butt kicked on national television or live. I'd pay money to go to Madison Square Garden and I would cheer with 1800,000 people as Ted DiBiase gets pinned. <laughs> like and that's Absolutely. that's pro wrestling in a nutshell. Wow. That's pro Good guys, you you a good guy is successful when you're prepared to pay to watch him win or her win. Uh, and a bad guy is successful when you're prepared to pay to watch them lose. Man. Wow. What a world. What a time. Ugh. That's good. That's good. I, I'm going to, I'm going to chew on that. There is, I do not know how I have not seen a viral sermon series on pro wrestling and Christianity, <laughs> but like Ted, Ted DiBiase is a born-again Christian minister. 
and uh, runs his own Christian-based pro wrestling promotion. What? True story. Oh, uh, oh gosh. I, I, oh, my, like, all the neurons in my brain are firing right now because I can't with all this. This is so much. This is great. I'm so excited. Uh, listeners, I'm, I'm glad you're here for what is now our, our Christianity and pro wrestling podcast. What the hell is a, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was i thought the joke was gonna happen it didn't <laughs> I mean, can we work up a joke so i can plug it in right there it, it doesn't matter what you think that's from the rock that's one of the rock's catchphrases <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think that's um a, a pro wrestler just died a couple of days ago oh. um actually pro wrestlers uh he died rather young he's got he's 40 and and the whole twitter pro wrestling world is pretty broken up um because he's a good guy when pro wrestlers die it's a big deal in in for for fans and for for other wrestlers so the rock uh i'm sorry for this so the rock he his dad just died last year and the rock's dad was a pro wrestler named rocky johnson and rocky johnson was the first black tag team champion in the world um him and his partner Tony Atlas were the first black tag team champions ever. And Rocky Johnson was was a good wrestler. Um, uh, and The Rock's grandfather was a Samoan wrestler named High Chief Peter Maivia, and because uh, The Rock is half black, half Samoan, and uh, and High Chief Peter Maivia is uh, was a legitimate High Chief, um, you know, of uh, in in the Isle of Samoa. And uh, was also very famous, you know, for his day and and stuff. So very cool stuff. But anyway, Rocky Johnson, he just died uh, last year. Rock's dad. And uh, they there's this really beautiful video, really well produced video of the funeral. And the Rock delivers just this incredible eulogy, and people are crying. And you have all of these old pro wrestlers who are who are openly weeping. By Rocky Johnson's casket, like like just just laying on the ca- on the closed casket, openly weeping over Rocky Johnson's death, and Ric Flair he comes around, and there's just this little video clip of Ric Flair putting his hand you know on on the casket and his other hand on his mouth as he as he sobs, and my mom watched it and she said I don't care. <laughs> That's how good Ric Flair was at making. Yeah, that's how good. That's how good. <laughs> I don't care. That guy. That guy should rot in hell. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Ric Flair is. Ric Flair is just is just this beautiful moment where he's just like my friend, my my companion. You're you're dead, and my mom's just like, yeah, I don't buy it. Do you? Ric Flair would never do that. I'm like, mom, this is actually who Ric Flair really is. <laughs> like you've got it backwards. <laughs> I did not. I had no idea where that story was going. And I <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, will you sign us off for the last mini-sode recorded in the year of Not Our Lord 2020? Yes. Uh, friends, this has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx Reebok and The Dude, and we will see you next time. Oh, shit.